See me, church. It's great to see you again. Man, I want to thank Joe for inviting me back. You know, Joe and I are good friends, so we like to, you know, invite each other to our churches. I'm in Oxnard at 4 p.m. I see a 4 p.m. back there. There's, there's AJ here at a 10. You guys can switch, switch. You guys can go to Oxnard for vacation, go to church afterwards. Awesome. So, hey, hey, Frank, how you doing? Some old friends here. I'm excited to be here. Uh, today is a very special Sunday. It's special in many ways because one, God's word is revealed to you. That's always special. But also the specialness of, uh, of special missions is in the air. And what special missions is in, in our church, we use that term to provide support to churches, our churches, that are living in foreign nations. For example, the Russian churches. Surrounded by atheists, there's a church there. Same in Norway, same in Stockholm. Atheistic, agnostic countries. So our special mission to them is a mission of love. To give funds to support them. We also give locally to the San Luis Obispo Church. We also give to the Baltics, former Russian churches. But today is a special mission. It requires a special sermon a special story of mission love. Now, I'm going to tell you a story today. We're going to look at a topic in the Bible. And for some of you, this may be very surprising. But we're going to do a topical study. That means I'm going to take you through some passages in the Old Testament all the way through the New to reveal an epic story of God's love for humanity. I call it God's unconquerable love. Now, first I have to give you a little, little, little pep talk. When we read the Bible, whenever you open the Bible, you have to read it in the context that it was written in. What that means for us is that the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. Does that make sense? So God worked with human, humans to make the Bible. They work together. And what that meant, God decided to communicate through particular humans, through a particular language, through a particular culture, through a, in a particular time and places. And if we're going to get to God's message, we got to go through the eyes of God and the authors that he used to reveal himself. Does that make sense? So this morning, I want you to put your mind into the context of an ancient Israelite. And how they viewed the world. Like you view the world right now as science and brain stuff. In the Bible times, they didn't, ha they didn't even have a word for mind. The person was in the gut. That was who they are. If you were human, it was your gut. And the bigger your gut was, the more you loved God. Just kidding. <laughs> That's why compassion, in the sense, it's in the bowels. Because in their mind, in their context, they don't know about neuroscience. They knew nothing about the mind. The translators actually help us by saying, when you love the Lord your God, love him with all your mind. He's helping us. Love him with all your entrails. We would go, what? Different context, different time, different era. Does that make sense? So when God made the heavens, he made the stars and the moon, he also made spiritual beings. 
So when the ancients look about the stars, it was a sign. It was a point, giving them a direction that not only is there God in heaven, there are spiritual beings that he created. In Job 38, it says, when God laid the foundations of the earth, these spiritual beings shouted for joy that the earth was made because God was planning to make you. He was planning to make humans, just like Glenn said. And he brought his spiritual family down to the earth in a garden called Eden. And there in Eden, there were spiritual beings and there were human beings living with God in his presence. And they were going to live with him forever. Now, mind you that God knows all things. So the story that I'm going to tell you, God already knew what was baked into the plan. When God decided to make a human and make a spiritual being, they aren't perfect. The only one who's perfect is God. So just because God makes a spiritual being doesn't mean they'll make mistakes or rebel. That's in fact exactly what happened in the garden at Eden. And he would call these spiritual beings, the authors would call them rulers. They would call them authorities. They would call them principalities. In the Old Testament, they would call them sons of God. That was the kind of the language they used. And God gave them authority to rule in the heavens because God loves to co-rule with us. And then when he made Adam, he says, hey, you're going to co-rule the earth. We're going to do it together. And that rulership meaning he got to name things and name because he had authority. So we work with God on earth as co-rulers. And in the heavens, they work with God as co-rulers. And it's one big family. So, this story is amazing because baked into God's plan was rebellion. God knew the moment he was going to make man, he knew what was going to happen. And the moment he made spiritual beings, he already knew what was going to happen. So it's already baked in. So God's not caught off guard like, oh, Adam blew it. Oh my gosh, what do I do? It was already baked into the plan. And it's, it's because God, his love is unconquerable. When God puts his will, it gets accomplished. Now this story, like Glenn so eloquently said, it started in the garden. And in the garden was Adam and Eve. And in the garden was a spiritual being. The Bible refers to that spiritual being as the serpent crafty one and he gets them to sin and disobey God and the moment they do that they no longer can live forever they're scooted out of the garden and now with Adam's sin it brought death that's why we die but God wants to restore that family he was he's resolved to recover the sins of the humans so they can be back in that relationship in the garden again so God has these humans and these spiritual beings. And man gets so corrupted after the garden that God floods the entire earth. And after the flood, there's Noah and his family. And they're charged to repopulate and spread out. And they are doing it. And they're spreading out. And as that spread out, they stop and say, wait a minute. We don't want to spread out anymore. We want to come together. And we want to build a city that has our name on it, and we want to glorify ourselves. That place was called Babel, Shinar, Babylon. It was the anti-Eden. And they're going to build a tower, and they're going to call God, say, God, you come down here now. This is our city, 
and you're going to be our God. And this is where our story of God's unconquerable love begins for us this morning. They're building the tower in Genesis 11. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth, all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because where, there, were, there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. God comes down and confuses their language and disperses them because the direction was to go and spread all over the earth. They didn't want to do that. And so God, at this point, divides mankind through language and geography. And this story you may have read many times before, but its real significance is found in two unfamiliar verses in another biblical book. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, when Moses is taking the second generation into the promised land, you may be asking, what happened to the first? They went over with Moses' the spies. They looked over the hill and saw some big people and says, we ain't going to do that. Those people are huge. And so God says, you're going to roam around for 40 years until you all are dead, and then I'm going to take your kids over there. And so these are the sons and the daughters of the first generation. And Moses is telling them. He's prepping them. But notice what insight he gives into the history up to that point. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, because of them, and all the hosts of heaven, for then that reflected the spiritual beings. You be drawn away and bow down and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has not allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you out and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you are now. Notice the language of God appointed other people, these hosts. And then at the end of Deuteronomy, when they're about to go in, he says, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations ago. Ask your father, and he'll show you. Your elders, and they'll tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind. When did God divide mankind? Oh, at Babel, through language and geography. He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted inheritance. Up to the point of Babel, God was the God of everybody on the earth. But after, after Babel, he becomes the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. He is not the God of the Canaanites. He is not the God of the Amorites. There's a shift there because God divided them through language and geography. And then he gets his spiritual family to take charge of the other nations. You're going to be in charge of them. I'm going to start and make a new nation. And I'm going to pick someone who's really well advanced in years. Someone who's 
past childbearing. Where it would be a miracle if they had a baby. Literally a miracle if they had a child. It's not medically possible. God goes, I'm going to choose that couple. And I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. Some of your translations may say the God, a, a number of the sons of Israel. If you look in your top right, there's a little letter there. It's a curve. It might say C-U-B. If you reference that, it's sons of God. Because up until the Tower of Babel, Israel didn't exist. So two other texts, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint, translate that sons of God. And they refer to that because there was no Israel. Didn't exist yet. And so God makes a new nation. And he calls this guy, Abram. You know him, Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. God's next move was to start with Abraham because he has to fix what happened in the garden. God is planning to redeem humanity because they're going to die. And when they die, they go to the underworld. And when they go to the underworld, they're with a guy named Satan. That is not, that's, not, that's not what God wants. So God has to start. He has to begin a new line. And he tells Abraham that all the rest of the nations, they'll be blessed because of you. That's why later on, it's the Jews and the Gentiles. Because God has a plan. And his mission was a mission of love. Unconquerable love. God loves to partner with us. And God knew all this was going to happen. He knew Babel was going to happen. He knew the, the, the serpent was going to do that. He knew all these things. And God establishes order and functionality. He has his own sons, his own family. Hey guys, you're going to govern these nations on my behalf. And I'm going to start with Abraham because we got to fix this, this situation in the garden. Everything was set in place. They were going to help God run humanity. It was going to be amazing. It looked good until the sons of God, the authorities, the rulers, rebel. When they were given their own nations, they became corrupt. They became dark. They became evil. And so we read in Psalm 82, where God has a meeting with them. God presides in this great, that word assembly means congregation, council. In the, in the Greek, it, it's going to mean ekklesia. I guess God had his own oikos moment right there. He gets together his household, Hutterum rebellion, and he renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust? And show partiality to the wicked. Why are you unloving? Why are you not taking care of the humanity that I love so much? You know, when I read scriptures like this and rebellion, I'm a new dad of teenagers. So I have these moments once in a while where I'm like, is this what I do to God? I've been having those moments a lot. I want to go, hey, son, how was your day? Mm. 
But that's when I don't pray. Okay, God wants me to pray more. Gosh, I'm a terrible kid to God. I have these moments where I'm like, in rebellion, I want to crush rebellion. It's my military side. I want to go there and conquer with machine guns. <laughs> Everyone's gone. We'll start over. It's my nature. It's what I want to do. What I'm learning is I need God's unconquerable love. Because I am sometimes I'm holding on like, what's going to happen? I, I taught him about God. What's going to happen? I don't know. I have no clue. It's an exercise in just being powerless. My daughter is studying the Bible, which I am so like, I'm like, okay, I hope she makes it. I hope she survives as a Christian. You know, that's the next phase. My son's, hmm. And then God tells them and, and says, hey, this is what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to defend the weak. You were supposed to defend the fatherless. You were supposed to uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. You were supposed to rescue the weak and the needy. And you were supposed to deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Instead, you become evil and dark and unloving. And these are members of his council who were like at once cheering. Now they're rebelling. And then God is God because he knew all this was going to happen when he, when he decided to make anything. God knew what was baked into the process. Rebellion. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk, he's talking about these, these, these uh, rulers and authorities and these sons of God. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are Elohim. Sons of the Most High. All of you. Nevertheless, you, will die, you shall die and fall like any prince. And then this last sentence. Arise, O God. Judge the earth. For you shall inherit all the nations. But the sons of God are going, oh, not so fast. We don't want to give them back. We ain't giving back what you gave us. These are some of the terms the Bible uses. In particular, I want to point out Daniel chapter 10. When you read Daniel 10, Daniel's praying, and the archangel Michael's trying to get to him. The archangel Michael's trying to get there. And he gets there and goes, man, sorry I'm late. <sighs> I got held up by the prince of Greece for 20-some days. What? What? What did I just read? You see, when I read that for years, I thought, oh, it must have been a physical human prince of Greece was doing something up there to Michael. It was another spiritual being who's over that territory. That's his authority, his rulership, his dominion, his principality. Another good example is when you read 2 Kings and you hear about Naaman who had leprosy and he goes to see Elisha. And Elisha says, go you dip yourself in the river seven times. And he gets an attitude because Elisha never comes out to say hi. He's like, ah, final. And he dips himself seven times and he comes back and his leprosy is gone. He's like, oh my gosh, there is no God besides the true God of Israel. I will only worship the God of Israel. 
So he packs his donkey. He tries to offer Elijah clothes. Elijah goes, I don't want none of it. So he goes, hey, can I take some of the dirt? Can I take some of the earth? And he grabs the earth, and he puts it on his donkey, and he fills satchels of earth into his donkey dirt, and he goes back to his homeland. Why in the world would someone pack their donkey with dirt? Because the nations were divided, and the sons of God ruled those nations. And God wants them back, but they're still there. So in his mind, this is the land of Israel. I'm standing on the land of Israel. I'm going to take this land. I'm going to go back to my house, back to my home. I'm going to throw it on the ground. And I am on the land of Israel. That's what he's doing. Because he says, I got to go and worship this other God. I don't want to do that. I want to worship your God. So he brings the dirt with him. Because in their minds, it was geography. It was principalities. It was dominions. There were lords of darkness there. Harry Potter. <laughs> and, and the Bible refers to them as, like Paul would later on write about them and say, rulers, powers, authorities, principalities, dominions, thrones, world rulers in the heavenly realm. And he says, he makes a point, our fight is not against flesh and blood. These spiritual beings antagonize humanity when you're doing bad spiritually they help you do bad spiritually there's a war for the souls it's god versus the gods I, you should read your bible this is, this is all in there it's amazing it's in there when i started to look at the ancient context i started to understand more that our, there is a war raging, cosmic. My next point is that God wants to reclaim these nations. God knowing that when he made spiritual beings in his image, to be his imagers, he wanted you to choose to be that. You had to have free will to do that. You had to choose to reflect God's righteousness and love. You have to decide that. As you sit here this morning, you have to decide to be his imagers. God didn't make us robots. Let me give you a good example. If you watch the X-Files, sorry, I just dated myself. But if you watch the X-Files, it's an amazing show. Mulder runs into a genie. And the genie, and the genie gives him a wish. And he's, he's like, I know. He's far. I want peace on earth. I want peace on earth. Genie goes, you sure? He's like, yeah, peace on earth. Okay, done. Okay. And Mulder walks outside. And everyone's gone. <laughs> He's like, hey! 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 Because if you want to get rid of evil, God's got to get rid of you. This is why he wants to reclaim. He had a plan to bring back the nations, and he had a plan to save humanity at the same time. And he had a plan to deal with the rulers and authorities and the sons of God. This gets exciting right now. If there was a song that was attached to your Bible, you could press a song to match this verse where God goes, I'm coming down. 
God goes, I'm going to come down and become a man and deal with sin and deal with the rulers. And you know what that song would be? Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me away from you. That's what it would sound like. That would be that verse. I'm coming. I'm coming. And so he comes down to earth in a human form. And you would think, it's amazing love. Unconquerable love. But the authorities, the rulers, the principalities, they're not stupid. They're intelligent. And they're wondering, what in the world is God doing down here? Is he trying to bring back the Garden of Eden? Is he trying to do this again? Remember, they're smart. And Paul gives us the most epic insight when he talks about wisdom. And I want you to focus on verse 7 or verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, not the wisdom of this of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. It was baked in. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have never crucified Jesus. They would have never killed you. They aren't dumb. Let me kill Jesus and end my rule. Let me kill Jesus and seal my fate. They didn't know. C.S. Lewis has a movie about that. Some witch in a wardrobe. And the witch kills Aslan. She's like, yes, we finally got him. And Aslan comes back because she didn't know. They didn't know. It was revealed to the authorities and the rulers after the fact. A couple things happen when they kill Jesus. Remember when God says they know nothing? They literally are dumb right now. They're like, because they're not God. They're a created creature. Two, two things happen, or three things happen. One, he forgave us our sins. Amen. He canceled the charge that happened in the garden, which stood against us and condemned us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus not only saves mankind, but he disarms their authority and their rule. They had no idea that killing Jesus would seal their fates. That's why Jesus says this statement. He gathers his disciples. Hey guys, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you until the end of the age. 
Their authority is gone, but they're not going away. Just let that sink in. Their authority is gone, and they're saying, come get it. You want this nation? Come get it. Yeah, you took my authority, but I'm still here. What do we do as Christians? Paul says this. Hey, you better ruck up. You better ruck up, Christians, and you better put something on. Don't be naive rocking around. I'm just a naive Christian. You better, you better get and ruck up and put something on. Put on the full armor of God. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. He talks about uh, helmets. He talks about helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, sword of the spirit, feet fitted, feet fitted with the readiness, shield of faith to extinguish the arrows, prayer. This is why Paul says with so much confidence in Romans 8, hey guys, Get out there because there ain't no angel or demon that will ever separate or power that will ever separate you from the love of God. Amen. So what happens to the sons of God? Because I was wondering, well, finish the story. What, what happens? Well, this, that part of the chapter hasn't ended. You might be alive to witness it, maybe, or another generation. But when the second coming comes, Jesus was going to come in verse 24 because Paul's talking about the resurrection and he will hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all the dominion, authority, and power. That will happen in the second coming of Jesus. And it might be a different song then. It might be more like, we are the champions, my friends. He might come with a different song. I don't know. Let's recap. I need some help. And I'll let these guys tell the story. Thanks for the recap, guys. That was really good. Good recap. Couldn't say it better myself. So what was that? What, what was this lesson? Where was I funneling you to? Mission, love. We have disciples in these lands that are being harassed and ruled by spiritual beings as it has convinced these entire nations that there is no God. He doesn't exist. That is that land. From Iceland, where there is no church, to Norway, to Sweden, to Finland, to Estonia, to Latvia, to Lithuania, and to Russia. Those lands, their population doesn't even, majority of them doesn't even acknowledge the existence of God. So what can you do about it? Well, since we're here and they're there, we can support them. So we're taking up a donation 
And our goal in the Simi Church and the Soroline Church is to combine our donations together. And we want to give to Russia, give to the Baltics, give to San Luis Obispo. And we need your help because the land is filled with darkness. And the spiritual forces of darkness are there. And for every dollar you give, light will shine. The light will shine. So where are we at in our goal right now? We are in our goal, we are at $3,312. Okay, it's a start. We're getting there. So whether you want to fundraise, whether you want to, you know, give a one-time donation, whatever God is putting on your heart, we want to go into all the nations and support the Christians who are there. With that, I'm going to bring Joe Collins up. Some closing thoughts. Thank you so much, Seaman.